The Orlando Magic are actually having a pretty good shooting month. And I think there are at least a few misconceptions that maybe we could tease out and talk about this Magic team as they look to improve their shooting. Why the Rookie of the Year race is over. It's been over. But why Paolo Bancaro has put his foot down on the Rookie of the Year race. Plus, surprising shooting numbers from Markel Fultz. We'll get to it. It's time for Locked On Magic. You are Locked On Magic. Your daily Orlando Magic podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. And you are indeed Locked On Magic. Today is March 31st, 2023. My name is Philip Rossreich. I'm the expert and site editor over at OrlandoMagicDaily.com. Of course, follow me on Twitter at philiprr underscore omd. On today's episode of Locked On Magic, we're going to dispel some shooting myths. Talk about how the Orlando Magic has shown some shooting improvements of individual players who have stepped their game up. We'll get to them coming up here in just a moment. But first, we want to thank you again for making Locked On Magic part of your day every day, no matter when you listen to us, whether it's first thing in the morning, whether it's right when we upload. We truly appreciate you making Locked On Magic part of your day every day. Remember, there's a great Locked On podcast covering every single team in the NBA. Just search for Locked On and the team you're looking for, the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day. Today's episode is also brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn today to get started. The Rookie of the Year contest is over. It's been over. Sorry, Jalen Williams fans. He's had a great season. Sorry, Ben Matherin fans. He's had a great season. Sorry, Walker Kessler fans. He's had a great season. Sorry, Jabari Smith. Jabari Smith's starting to come around too. Um, Sorry to all those players. The race is over. It's been over since December when Bancaro really got going, really got himself moving, um, putting up near all-star, really just near all-star numbers for, for a rookie. Yeah, the efficiency isn't there. We're going to get to that. Um, but he's been asked to do a role that no other player in his class has been able to do, and he's been able to do it for a team that, at least since December 7th when the season began, because no games before December 7th actually count, or they shouldn't count in my opinion, um, since December 7th, the Magic have been a really good team. Have been a, a, not maybe really good, probably far, but a 500 team. But yet, the debate has had little embers. I don't want to say it's raged on because even among the national media that you know are trying to pump up Jalen Williams and say like, hey, there are other good rookies besides Paolo. Jalen Williams is having a great year. The way that he's developed, the way that he's come on strong later in the season is certainly impressive. And again, please, please, please do not take this as me saying that no other rookies had a good year. This has been a great rookie class. There have been lots of great rookie performances. I'm excited for Jalen Williams' future. I'm excited for Ben Matherin's future. I'm excited for Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler, eventually Chet Holmgren. There's still a lot of guys to be excited about from this class. Paolo Bancaro's just had the better season. The better year. And of course, I tell I tell this to people all the time when Magic players don't win Rookie of the Year. You don't draft a player for his rookie year. You draft a player for his entire career. But the embers of this ridiculous Rookie of the Year discussion, um, you know, again, got to get our clicks. I get it. It's I, I'm in the business too. 
Um, but so much of, I, I think, this rookie year conversation was brought on by the fact that Paolo Bancaro just had a god-awful February shooting the ball. Paolo Bancaro was not known as a three-point shooter entering the NBA, but the fact that he went one for 32 or one for 33 from beyond the arc in February, yeah, that 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 didn't sit well. And look, he had a, had a season-low 16.6 points per game uh, in February. He definitely let the door creep open ever so slightly for this conversation to wedge its way in. I'm not going to sit here and deny that. He was not good in February. Um, no rookie. All rookies suck. All rookies are terrible. But Paolo Bancaro was not good in February. And his shooting was a big part of it. Yes, he could still get to the line. Yes, he's still scoring. He's still getting his shots. But adding that three-point shot is going to change his game. And that's where the Magic have found something different in March. March has been almost a completely different story for Bancaro. And look, it's not like he's suddenly become this dynamic three-point shooter, and it's not like he still doesn't have flaws and faults that he has to work on and improve. But Bancaro has started to show that potential as a shooter that continues to make him such an interesting prospect moving forward. A a player that still has a wide space for him to continue to grow. Let's go through the numbers. In March, where he hasn't missed any games, Paolo Bancaro is shooting 19 for 51 from beyond beyond the arc. That's 37.3%. For the season, Bancaro is shooting 29.2% from deep. Certainly some of this could be a flash in the pan. It could be anything. He's a rookie. The the possibilities are endless. But having a player who's able to shoot threes at this level is encouraging. I mean, Carroll's been getting it done in some really fun ways. Uh, you, look at the num- you look at the numbers a little bit deeper. Ben Carroll's been assisted on, I believe it's 15 of those 19 three-point makes. So, again, just... Not a, you know, again, just a lot of this is coming off of ball movement, which is just fantastic to see. That's that's what you want to see. If 15 of his 19 three-pointers are assisted, that's a good sign. For the year, he's been assisted on, on 56 of his 80 three-point attempts, uh, three-point three makes, 70%. But where he's really improved is just simply in making these shots. For the year, he's shooting 29% on his threes above the break in March. He's shooting 13 of 42, 31% on his threes above the break. Again, not blowing you away, not saying like, oh, Paolo Bancaro is suddenly this ace three-point shooter, but a significant improvement nonetheless. Perhaps an area where he is underutilized in a place that he can continue to grow. He's made six of his eight shots from the corners, four or five from the left corner specifically, whereas for the season, let me pull up my stats here, For the season, he's shooting 12 for 34, 35.3% from the corners. Again, an area where perhaps the Magic could use him a little bit more, trying finding him in those corners. Now look, again, Paolo Bancaro's game isn't predicated on his three-point shot. And and, and again, we will always preface this to say the Magic are desperate for more shooting. And part of that equation is Paolo Bancaro becoming a better three-point shooter. 
becoming a more reliable three-point shooter. That's so much of this equation. But Bancaro doesn't have to be a 40% three-point shooter. He doesn't have to be 37, 38%. He just can't be 29. If he can get to 33, 34, 35%, that's going to be enough to keep defenses honest. That's going to be enough to hold defenses accountable for leaving him open on the perimeter and give everyone else the space they need because you have to close, you can't close out too hard on Bancaro because he'll drive right by you, he'll get to the basket, he'll get to the foul line. He's just so smart at drawing fouls. And certainly part of why Bancaro's efficiency hasn't quite caught up or why he was better, had a better true shooting percentage in December is his free throw attempts are, are way down. He's shooting maybe six or seven three-point attempts instead of seven or eight, which is a pretty significant drop, which is a pretty big deal. Uh, um, you know, again, some of that is maybe a lack of respect. Maybe some of that is Bancaro settling for jumpers a little bit more. He's always believed he's a jump shooter. He's obviously been through a physically grueling season for the first time. It would not surprise me if the numbers do indeed show that Bancaro is shooting more jumpers than ever. But even with his mid-range jumpers, he is shooting so much better. In March, Bancaro is shooting 19 for 47 from the mid-range. That's 40.4%. Again, not a great number, um, but for mid-range shooting, actually, that is a pretty good number. That is actually a really, really solid number. For the season on mid-range jumpers, let me just update my stats here to, to reflect that. Uh, for the season on mid-range jumpers, again, this is all according to NBA.com, he's shooting 38.3%. Considering the volume of his shots, a two percentage point rise is a pretty significant deal. Where Van Carroll struggled in March is in the paint in the restricted area, shooting 62% uh, in the restricted area this year. Certainly really strong, but could be better. Uh, could continue to get better. You want to be in the mid-60s. Mid 62 is really good for a rookie. But he's shooting 56% in March. So he's missed a lot of, but you know, if anything, the issue in March is he's been missing shots around the basket and making his shots on the perimeter a lot more. At the end of the day, again, rookies are awful. Rookies are almost always bad. Um, they don't know what they're doing. They don't have respect to the officials. They're figuring everything out for the first time. And so... I, it's really important to remember, just like with all the other rookies, this is essentially the worst version of them. And so, if, if what we're seeing in March now, for how we're seeing Paolo Bancaro finish this season, if what we're seeing is a glimpse of what he's going to be when he puts all these pieces together, when he puts November and December's driving and free throw shooting together with March's mid-range shooting, three-point shooting, even as modest as those numbers are, that's a superstar player. That's a three-level scorer. That's someone the defense has to account for at all times, even when they don't have necessarily have the ball. But Carroll's had to go through a lot of changes and a lot of shifts and a lot of growth this season. And frankly, I find this narrative that he burned bright and stayed the same I find that narrative really hard to believe and really hard to stomach because I, I I just don't think it's true. Yes, he started off really hot. Yes, the raw numbers have stayed relatively even. But he's also figured out at various times how to beat double teams. Right now, with 
his struggles shooting the ball, he has upped his assists. He has upped his rebounding. He has improved his defense and his, and his defensive awareness. It's still got a long way to go, but it has improved. And now we're seeing here in March and at the end of the season that Ben Carroll can indeed go through a pretty long stretch, a, a significant stretch as a decent shooter. It's all still coming together. We're not seeing a finished product. But it's yet another reason why Bancaro is the Rookie of the Year. Because we could see very clearly what he is going to be capable of doing when he does continue to mature and improve. We're going to chat about another player that has a lot of shooting myths about him. Marco Fultz's March goes under the spotlight. We'll get to that coming up here in just a moment. But first, a quick word from our friends at FanDuel. There's the banner. There it is. The NCAA tournament is heating up. We got the NCAA Women's Tournament Final Four Friday night. When you're done watching the Magic play the Wizards, flip over, watch Iowa versus South Carolina. That is going to be the college basketball game of the year, men's or women's. It's going to be awesome. Caitlin Clark is the truth. Uh, not like Maya Moore is the truth. Maya Moore is the truth, in my in my opinion. Sorry, Paul Pierce. Um, she's taken that name for you, uh, name from you. Um, but Caitlin Clark is freaking awesome to watch. And this Iowa-South Carolina game is going to be one of the most fun games of the year. And so, if you want to watch this game or any other game the rest of the year, there's no better place to get in on the action than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. That's because right now, FanDuel is giving new customers a no-sweat-first bet up to $1,000. It's up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Just go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and sign up today to claim your no-sweat-first bet. Then you can wager on everything from the money line to point spreads to which team will be cutting down the net, all on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. So don't miss your shot at a no sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to fanduel.com slash locked on to sign up. Make every moment more with FanDuel. You know, shooting narratives with this Orlando Magic team are, are certainly still very strong and, and very much a, a big, big deal. Um, you know, again, we're not going to hide from it. We're not going to deny this. The Magic need to be better shooters. Um, you know, you look at the game against the Grizzlies. Um, the Magic shot 49 threes in that game, and that was the hot, most they've taken all year. And all of us understood that was way too many. And I think for most teams, that would be way too many. But as you go back and look at the tape, it's very much clear that, A, the Grizzlies were really focused on locking down the paint. They wanted the Magic to shoot those threes. And the Magic got a lot of good looks and missed a lot of good looks. They took what the defense gave them. They executed their game plan. And they missed a lot of shots. That's been the story throughout the year. The Magic are a low-volume three-point shooting team. Um, and, and that has, frankly, not changed. Um, you know, the, It's something that I think we all understand has to be something this team continues to improve. You can be a low-volume three-point shooting team. The Denver Nuggets, like the Orlando Magic, do not take a lot of threes per game, but they shoot like 40% on their threes. That's the big difference. You can't be a middling team in three-point makes and a low team 
on three-point attempts. You're just going to get beat out so many times. And so I, I'm not sitting here saying with these numbers that I'm giving you that the Magic have somehow, the Magic are somehow not already a shooting team and they just don't know it. No, the Magic have to find shooting. They need three-point shooters. They need some gravity. They, they need guys that will put the ball in the basket because at the end, of the end of the day, that's what's going to win you games. And the Magic have done well in various parts of the season to find a way to make up for this difference, to make up for this gap, um, even though they give up a ton of three-pointers, the three-point attempts themselves, um, they found ways to kind of make up, but it is it is very clearly an uphill climb. The three-point shot is a cheat code. The three-point shot is the shortcut. Unfortunately, it's essential now. It, it's, it's no longer the shortcut. It's the path you have to walk, and, and the Magic certainly need more threes. But I bring up these numbers because I, I do think it is important to note where the Magic are strongest and, and where the Magic have advantages or where narratives are just flat out wrong. And I think no player exemplifies how the shooting narrative is wrong than Markel Fultz. Yes, Markel Fultz does not take a lot of threes. He's 22 for 79 on three-pointers for the season, 27.8%. It's not great. However, Fultz is efficient from almost everywhere else on the floor. He's shooting 50.5% from the floor with a 52.2% effective field goal percentage. So those threes do help just a little. He's shooting 63.8% in the restricted area. Remember I said Paolo Bancaro's up, up at 62. So uh, Paolo Bancaro's a big. Fultz for the season is shooting 63.8% um, in the restricted area. He's shooting 50.6% in the paint outside the restricted area. Uh, and he's shooting 42.2% on mid-range jumpers. 65 for 154 on mid-range jumpers. Mid-range jumpers are the uh, 42.2%. Those are the least efficient shots in the game. You typically see players under 40%. The elite players are shooting mid-40s. And so Fultz, not quite elite at mid-range jump shooting, but certainly very, very, very good. Those are his season numbers, though. And in March, he has been absolutely outstanding. Markel Fultz has had a fantastic March run this year. And, and I, I want to make sure I pull up his stats here. So give me a sec to, to grab his March stats here. So if I, I skid out while my computer is loading a new, a new site here, give me one second. Now, in March, Markel Fultz is averaging 16 points per game, 6.5 assists per game, 4.1 rebounds per game, shooting 51.7% from the floor with a 56.7% true shooting percentage. That's actually down... In February and January, he had a 58.1 true shooting percentage. Some of that, I think, is just, A, his three-point shooting has been off 20.8%. He's also taken more threes in March than any month besides December. He was 9 for 24 on threes in December. He is 5 for 24. And to me, that's just a sign of his shooting confidence. When you look at just his March numbers, though, he's shooting 69.8% at the rim. 52.2%, 24 for 46 in the paint, non-restricted area. And 42.6% in the mid-range. Again, the volume's up. He's scoring more. A lot of that is his ability to get right to the basket. But he is still as deadly as ever from the mid-range. 20 for 47. Now, like I said, the NBA's de-emphasized mid-range shooting. Um, and, and, and honestly, it's a good reason. Mark, we're, we're celebrating Markel Fultz shooting 42.7%. You know, again, saying that, that, that that's not elite, but it is above average. Uh, shooting from the mid-range. It is an inefficient shot. It is a difficult shot, and it does not give you the added benefit of the three-pointer. That's why so many of the offenses are geared toward two shots. At the rim, free throws, 
or at the rim, getting to the foul line, or three-point shots. Those are the three shots most NBA offenses are looking for. Um, that is, those aren't the shots Fultz looks for. Because Fultz isn't a great three-point shooter. But he's able to get to the basket, and he's able to hit that mid-range jumper with some efficiency. Now, why is this important? Why is this a good sign for the team? Well, it's not helping them a ton right now. And look, again, the Magic need three-point shooting. They need it desperately. But the kind of shots that Marco Fultz is taking, the kind of shots that Paolo Bancaro takes, those are the kind of shots that you're going to get in the playoffs. At the end of the day, what the Magic are gearing up for, what the Magic are somewhat focused on, is being not just a good regular season team, but being a team that can get comfortable shots in the playoffs. Most of the time, teams are happy to let you shoot mid-range jumpers. But come playoff time, those are the shots that determine whether you win or lose ballgames because it's much more difficult to get those open threes, to get to get those shots at the rim, to get to the foul line in the postseason. It's really hard because teams hone in on those and the thing they give up is mid-range jumpers. That's not to say I think that... I, I think that, honestly, I think so much of the Magic's offense is built toward what they're going to be and what they're going to need to be when they get to playoff basketball. I, I, I really believe that. And this is one of the things I'm really excited about with this offense. I think Jamal Mosley runs some really good stuff. Uh, I think he gives his players a lot of control and power to make decisions. And I think that unpredictability and, and the team's willingness to take some of these mid-range jumpers is ultimately going to help them when they get into pressure playoff games. Now, they're going to have to make some threes, obviously. The offensive efficiency is going to have to improve. That stuff's going to get added in, I think. But the, the base of what the Magic are doing is geared toward the playoffs. And honestly, a lot of the stuff Markel Fultz does offensively is geared toward playoff success. Put the ball in his hands. He's going to be able to create a shot for himself. He's going to be able to keep the defense off balance. They're going to be happy to let him shoot threes, but he's so good at creating space and getting into that mid-range jumper that it's not it's something that the defenses are like, okay, I, I, I'm okay giving that up, but you make enough of them, you defend well enough, you get out in transition enough, you make enough threes, those mid-range jumpers really determine games. And so I honestly, like I, I'm, I'm honestly saying this, I think the magic shooting is not as bad as people think. Uh, their three-point shooting is. Uh, and they've got to find a way to get that volume up, and they've got to find a way to be a little bit more efficient and just be a little bit more threatening from beyond the arc. They don't have to shoot 37, 38, 39, 43s. If they can get up, they're, they're shooting, I think they're averaging 32 threes per game right now. If they can get up to 35, 34 even next season and making one or two more three, you know, making two or three more threes, you know, getting that percentage, I think they're 33, 34%, get that percentage as a team to 35, 36%. That's going to be the difference between being the bottom 10 offense they are right now, uh, for the season at least, and being a, a, a top half offense, a passable offense, and an offense that's going, to be, that's going to provide some problems and be a little bit dangerous when we get into the playoffs and when we get into these kind of slower, slow down games and these slower games that the playoffs end up being. I think March has been a really good month for the Magic. Um, you know, Besides the win-loss column and, and some of the struggles they've had, they've really found some stuff offensively. They really found their rhythm offensively. They really kind of hit the turbo on a lot of the things that they're going to be able to do to be to be successful in this league. I really, really like what the Magic have done and how the Magic are developing. And I think we're going to look back at this month of March 
the way Markell's played, the way Paolo's played, the way a lot of players have played to finish the season, I think we're going to look back at it as a little bit of a turning point and, and, and a kickstart for what should be a big revival offensively this offseason. When we get back, because I'm going to put the ad here in a minute, when we get back, big game Friday. The Orlando Magic against the Washington Wizards. What the Magic have to do to win these next two games coming up in just a moment. So, the Orlando Magic take on the Washington Wizards on Friday night in Washington, D.C. It's a chance to split the season series with the Wizards, if that still matters. Um, It is a chance to tie the Wizards, if I'm not mistaken, in the standings and and take a, you know, again, if, if the Magic is still going for the playoffs, which I think they are, it is a chance to take a major step forward. It is a chance to uh, clear a team. And I know some people will look at the lottery standings and say, that's not a good thing, Philip. Um, it is, though. This is a franchise that wants to win games. And again, maybe the focus isn't on the larger standings. Maybe the focus right now isn't on passing X team or getting to X playoff spot or getting to X spot in the standings. It's really, I like so many of the players have said, a game-by-game thing. Learning how to win basketball games Learning how to learning how to win basketball games, learning how to finish these games off. The Magic aren't in a position where they can waste uh, they can waste any of these games. They have 82 games in a season. They have six more left. There is no reason for a young team like the Magic to waste any of these games. Every game is an opportunity to learn something new, to get better at closing games, to just gain new experience. Now, granted, these next two games are going to be the trickiest of the bunch. The Orlando Magic will face the Washington Wizards, who will sit out Bradley Beal and Kyle Kuzma, leaving just Kristaps Porzingis, who has had a really strong run against the Magic this season, um, but leaving the Magic, going up against a team that's very undermanned and, frankly, might be playing the lottery card. You know, the Wizards have veteran players who they prefer to rest than young players that need to grow. The Magic have young players that need to grow, and so that's why these games are important. It, it, it's not a fully, you know, the Wizards are technically still in the play and race just as much as the Magic are, but this definitely feels like the Wizards are packing it in and turning it, turning it for home. No offense. Listen to Lockdown Wizards for their perspective on what's going on with the team. Um, look, Bradley Beal's had a ton of injuries. Kyle Kuzma's entering free agency. I'm, I'm not going to impugn direct motivation here, but, you know, those guys know what they're doing. They don't need this, this time if the playoffs are truly out of reach for them. Then the Magic will play the, play the Detroit Pistons on Sunday at the Amway Center to kickstart, kickstart the final three-game homestand of the season. In essence, these are the last two teams the Magic will play this year that are not playing for the postseason. Again, Washington is technically in the postseason race, but certainly not acting like it of late as they've, they've really struggled down the stretch here. Um, having said that, that makes this game really tricky because... You know, certainly the guys that are playing are going to take it seriously. Um, the Magic, as a young team, have often struggled going up against these teams near the bottom of the standings, these teams that are struggling to put wins together. Uh, and so they've gotten hit by a couple of these teams. They obviously have two losses to Detroit already this season. Um, you know, getting that season series split 
would be very nice so we don't have that stain. And, you know, as much as I love Koo, as much as I love Koo, I don't want him lording three wins over the Magic over me the entire offseason, um, especially if they win the lottery. Um, but uh, um, Koo from Lockdown Pistons, great show. Listen to Lockdown Pistons if you're interested in hearing what's going on with the Pistons today. Um, these are games that, as a young team, you have to learn how to take care of and learn how to manage. And the Magic haven't always done that. And so, like I said before, there is still a lot to learn this season. There's still a lot of experiences this team needs to gain. And this is one of them. This is one of the things the Magic have to be able to do and have to do well. They have to close this game out. They have to win these games. They have to, I don't want to say dominate these games, but they need to control these games. The way the Magic played against the Wizards last week is exactly what they need to do this time around too. Take the lead, hold on to it, keep them at arm's length. Uh, If it gets close, finish hard in those last five minutes. That's what the Magic did to win. It was one of the most impressive performances of the season, even if the score's not impressive, even if the opponent's not impressive. The ability to close that game out the way that the Magic did was really impressive and a great sign of growth. That means nothing if you don't do it again, if you aren't able to carry it over, and especially to do it on the road. We know Marco Fultz is going to show up. He always shows up big when they play at Washington, D.C. We'll see who else shows up and what else the Magic are able to do. The Magic should win this game. They should win the game against Detroit on Sunday. And doing both of those should put them ahead of Washington and into 11, into 11th uh, in the Eastern Conference. Uh, tra- just right on the heels of the Chicago Bulls, but potentially eliminated by then. Uh, although, no, they wouldn't be eliminated by then if they win both those games. So, uh, certainly, Chicago's at Charlotte. So, certainly the Magic are playing with a very small margin of error if they do want to make the postseason. Uh, they need to win these games. These next two games are very, very winnable games. And we need to see the Magic play with the focus and intensity that befits a team that needs to win these games. I want to thank you all again for listening to today's episode of Lockdown Magic. Of course, find me on Twitter at philiprr underscore omd. Subscribe to the podcast and Apple Podcasts. Stitcher, tune in Himalaya, Google Play, Spotify, Odyssey, and all of it listen to all podcasts to your podcast enable listening device for the latest on the Orlando Magic. Be sure to check out orlandomagicdaily.com. You can follow us there on Twitter at omagicdaily. Now that you're done listening to us, be sure to check out the Locked On Game to Game NBA podcast. Every moment, every top performance, every result. Locked On Game to Game covers every game from across the NBA with local analysis that only Locked On can deliver. Follow Game to Game on Locked On NBA, available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get podcasts. That's good to do for me today, though. I want to thank you all again for listening to today's episode of Locked On Magic. For Orlando Magic Daily and Locked On Magic, this has been Philip Ross from Michael. We'll see you all again next time for another episode of Locked On Magic.